Today's Bible reading is um, from the book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 1 to 22. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city. Sorry, but but brought up in the city. I studied studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are here today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and following throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now that you are wait, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, Leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. Thanks, Peter, and good morning, everyone. As Belinda said, my name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Unley, and it's great to be with you today. Isn't it good to be meeting together? It's felt like over the last few days that it may not happen for much longer, so thank you for being with us. I'm enjoying seeing you face-to-face at the moment. Uh, We had a great story already this morning from Tanya, and 
Today we're talking a little bit about stories. So I want to kick our time off together by telling you a story. It was written by Roald Dahl. Some of you may have heard it before, but I just want you to sit back and listen to this little story. Once upon a time there was an old man of 87 whose name was Laban. All his life he had been a quiet and peaceful person. He was poor but happy. One day Laban discovered that he had mice in his house. Didn't bother him much at first, but the mice began to multiply and that began to bother him. They kept on multiplying and finally there came a time when he could stand it no longer. This is too much, he said. This is really going a bit too far. So he hobbled out of his house, down the road to a shop where he bought some mouse traps, a piece of cheese and some glue. When he got home, he put the glue underneath the mousetrap and stuck it onto the ceiling. He baited it carefully with the piece of cheese and set it ready to go off. That night, when the mice came out of their holes and they saw the mousetrap on the ceiling, they thought it was a tremendous joke. They walked around the floor nudging each other and and pointing with their front paws and roaring with laughter. After all, it was pretty silly having a mouse trap up on the ceiling. When Lebon came down the next morning and saw that there was no mice caught in his trap, he smiled but said nothing. Then he took a chair and put glue on the bottom of its legs and stuck that upside down on the ceiling near the mouse trap. He did the same with the table, the television set, and the lamp. You know, he took everything that was on the floor and stuck it upside down on the ceiling. He even put a little bit of carpet up there. The next night, when the mice came out of their holes, they were still joking and still laughing about what they'd seen the night before. But now when they looked up at the ceiling, they stopped laughing and said, goodness gracious me, look, the floor's up there. Heavens above, shut another one. We must be standing on the ceiling. Another mouse said, I'm beginning to feel a little bit giddy. The, the blood's going to my head, said another. This is terrible, said a senior mouse with very long whiskers. This is really terrible. We must do something about it. A young mouse said, I'm going to faint if I have to stand on my head any longer. Me too, said another. I can't stand it, said another. Save us, do something quick. They were hysterical now. And then one of the wise old mice said, I know what we'll do. We'll stand on our heads and we'll be the right way up. So obediently they all stood on their heads. And after a long time, one by one, they fainted as the blood rushed to their brains. And when Laban came down the next morning, the floor was just littered with mice. He gathered them up and popped them in the basket. This is how the story ends. So this is the thing to remember. When the world seems terribly upside down, remember to keep your feet firmly on the ground. When the world seems upside down, remember to keep your feet firmly on the ground. I wonder what you think of that story. You might have heard it before. I really like that story. Um, It's got lots of words though, doesn't it? And it's really only just communicating this one idea. When the world is upside down, as it is at the moment, story reminds us to keep your feet on the ground. Now my guess is that I could have just said that one sentence to you this morning. If the world feels a bit upside down, keep your feet planted on the ground. You would have heard it, but 30 seconds later you would have forgotten that I've said it. 
And my guess is that you'll walk away remembering at least a little of the story of the man Laban and the mice that invaded his house. And really, in a way, this is something to do with the power of stories, isn't it? A lady called Claire Patey, who's the director of the Empathy Museum in the UK, says this about stories. She says, stories have a transformative power to allow us to see the world in a different way than we do if we just encounter it on our own. Stories are an entry point to understanding a different experience of the world. Now, I've got to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about the Empathy Museum in London, but I do love Claire's quote. I think it's so helpful because it shows us the place of stories in our world today. We've already had a taste of this this morning, haven't we? We've heard of Tanya's story. We've seen the world through her eyes this morning. Maybe you've been persuaded to see the world through her eyes. Today we're looking at the first half of Acts chapter 22, the passage that Peter read to us earlier. And here we see Paul's story of God at work in his life. And just like Claire Patey tells us, Paul's story is designed to help his listeners, the Jews who are looking on, see the world in a different way. Now, in Paul's case, he's hoping that his listeners will will change their view about who Jesus is and about how they're going to treat him as Jesus' ambassadors. Now, initially, Paul doesn't succeed in that, does he? But We read on in the passage that those who are listening throw off their cloaks and they throw dust up into the air. And it reminds me of a bull kind of kicking up the dirt about to charge. The story hasn't had the effect that Paul wants it to have on his listeners. But countless readers since that time have been struck by Paul's story. Even today as we read Paul's story, I wonder if you're challenged by it. Jesus spoke to him. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. It is an incredible story. And we're going to spend a bit of time looking at Paul's story this morning. I want you to see that there are three main sections in his story. If you've got your outline, a leaflet there, you'll see the three main sections in Paul's story. Firstly, I want us to see that Paul is the most unlikely person to end up being God's great missionary to the Gentiles. Of all the people God could have chosen to tell the good news about Jesus to the world, it seems like Paul would have been the least likely. We see that in the first five verses of this passage. He's a murderer, it tells us. Secondly, we read about the life-changing event of Paul. It's so amazing. It's the event that, that transforms him. That event's crept into our vocabulary today. This is the original Damascus Road experience. A blinding light, God speaking to him audibly, and it transformed his life. And the third thing I want us to see in this passage is, is what it means for Paul, how his life was changed, what he goes on to do. And we're going to work our way through Paul's story this morning over the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes. But as we do so, I want you also to be thinking about that question that I have on the bottom of your outlines today. Here's that question. What role does our story play in shaping how we talk to others about the gospel? What role does our story, your story, play as you talk about Jesus? As you think about Spring Connections, what role does your story play in that? Well, let's take a look at the life of Paul before he met Jesus. Um, Come with me to verse 3 of this passage, Acts chapter 22. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to flick to it, otherwise it'll be on the screen behind me. This is Paul speaking. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, 
but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Can you see here that Paul's a a pretty unlikely person to be God's missionary to the Gentiles? Uh, Firstly, he was born as a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, then studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. I think Paul's name-dropping a bit here. Tarsus was known as a kind of important intellectual city. But as great as Tarsus was, Paul Paul also has the benefit of being raised in Jerusalem, the, the capital. Not only did he grow up in Jerusalem, but he was taught by Gamaliel. He's been described, Gamaliel, as the most significant and influential Pharisaic educator in the first century. If we think about what the modern day equivalent of what you might say here, I think it's something like this, that you were, you were born in a good place in the country, maybe in one of those rich pastoral lands within a large country home, maybe somewhere like Bathurst or something like that. In other words, by birth, you've got that Aussie country background. You know what it is to wear a dry as a bone coat, that kind of idea. But you didn't stay there your whole life. You went and did your schooling where it counts, maybe in the city, in a, in a prestigious high school and then into a top-tier university. To put it in Australian terms, you know how to wear a suit, but you've got R.M. Williams boots at the door. right? That's what Paul's saying, I think. The Jewish equivalent. You're thoroughly Aussie, but also really well-educated. And we might not boast about this in the same sort of way that Paul does here in Australia. Um, None of us sort of like that tall poppy idea, but I think this is somewhat common in our world today still. Adelaide does have a bit of a culture where we talk about the school or the university that you went to. Paul's outlining his heritage for us here. Who is he? He's got a good birthplace, a good education. He's thoroughly Jewish. And what's more, he's zealous for God. Did you see that in the passage? We don't use the word zealous very often, do we? But I think what Paul means here is that he's jealous for God. He wants to defend God, to uphold him. And as a Jew and as a Pharisee, well, they see Jesus as the enemy. And all of this leads Paul then to a place where he's out wanting to persecute Christians, even to the point of death. He arrested both men and women and had them thrown into prison. And he goes on to say to his audience, remember he's in Jerusalem at this time, if you don't believe me now, ask around, ask the the council, ask the high priest. I sought letters from them so that I could go and make prisoners of those in Damascus. And why is Paul telling his audience this? Well, he's setting up his story, isn't he? This is his background. We read about Paul's life in the Bible, in a number of different places, but here we see him telling his audience who he was, what he was like. The most unlikely of men became an ambassador for Jesus. Today, we we live in a world where we know, we kind of know what it is to be, uh, to have polar opposite ideas. 
So often it seems that in our world, people hold polar opposite ideas. You're either for or against vaccines, for example, or you're for or against climate change policies, or you're for or against allowing refugees, you're for or against Donald Trump, for or against free health care, for or against gun control. And it's very rare, isn't it, in our world for people to switch from one side of the debate to the other. It seems that facts don't really make much of a difference or truth doesn't make much of a difference for people in telling them to switch from one pole to another. It seems that no amount of debating or no amount of persuasion seems to make any difference. I want you to see here, Paul has two polar sides to his life. He was opposed to Jesus, persecuting those who followed the way. And yet Paul flipped, Paul changed sides. He became a great servant of Jesus, a missionary for him. How does that happen? Well, he met Jesus. He met him. This is point two for us in our outline. And let me read to you from verse six as we see Paul's encounter with Jesus. This is what it says. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Here's the Damascus Road experience that we've heard of before, I'm sure. We use it in our vocabulary today. As I understand it from reading this, this is not just a vision that Paul has. He has a real physical encounter with Jesus. Visions don't leave you blinded. And it leaves Paul with little doubt about who Jesus is. And he switches from being persecutor to ambassador almost instantaneously. He sees Jesus in that moment as the Lord and Saviour. He realises that his persecution of the Christians means that he's also persecuting the Lord of heaven and earth. I want you to just see this as this, the most powerful encounter. It's powerful enough to leave Paul blind and powerful enough to change his worldview, to flip him from one side to the other. Jesus instructs Paul to go on to Damascus and in Damascus he'll be told what to do. As I read this this week, it got me kind of thinking, wondering about what are the events in my life that have shaped me to be where I am today? And I wonder for you, what events make you who you are today? There might be lots of those things or for some of you it might just be a few points in your life that you think really add up to be who you are today. What's in your story? How would you tell it if you were doing what Tanya did this morning? What are the things that have really made a difference for you? They might not have been snap changes. You might not have seen Jesus in a bright light. But what are the experiences? Who are the people who make you who you are today? As I think back on the 40 or so years of my life, there are people who have made a big difference. Parents, friends, university lectures, people who have pointed me to Jesus. Pastors, Christian friends, 
Who's had an impact on your life? What have been the big things? What's your story? Paul met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and it, it changed him. I hope you can see that. He went from persecutor to ambassador, opponent to Jesus' greatest supporter. Point three in your outline, you'll see that Paul makes his way to Damascus and there he's met by this man, Ananias. And Ananias is, is, an, is an incredible witness in a sense, isn't he? A devout observer of the law, a Jewish man, highly respected. Now this is no flousy, no, no charlatan. Ananias is the real deal and he finds Paul. We know that he's staying in the house of Judas on Straight Street in Damascus. Chapter 9 tells us that. Now let me read to you uh, the account of what happens here from verse 12 of 22, chapter 22 of Acts. Paul says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Now, reading this passage in isolation, I reckon this just sounds almost improbable, right? A few days ago, Paul, it seems, would have run a sword through Ananias' belly, had he had his eyes open to be able to see it, and he would have done it in the name of God, zealous for God. And yet here, Ananias addresses him as a brother. How is that possible? You might be wondering. Is Ananias just ignorant? Is he not sure of who Paul is at this time? Well, to make sense of this, I'd love you to flick back to the, another time where Paul's conversion story is listed in the book of Acts. It's there in chapter 9 of Acts. In chapter 9, Luke is telling us the exact same events, the Damascus Road experience, but it's not through Paul's eyes, so it's not really Paul's story. In chapter 9, we learn that Ananias had also heard the voice of God. He'd had an audible experience of God. And just to clarify with you, Paul's experience in the Damascus Road, it's told in chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26 of Acts. They're all the same event, they're just told in slightly different ways. So in Acts chapter 9, we learn that Ananias knew exactly who Paul was. He knew his reputation. And yet in verse 15 of chapter 9, God speaks to Ananias. This is what he says. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Ananias knows exactly what's going on. He's a strong believer and he obeys God and he goes to meet this Christian killer. And he does so warmly and he calls him Brother Saul. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He knew what Paul like was like. He knew of his past actions. In fact, let me just read this bit to you from chapter 9, just early on in chapter 9. This Ananias, this is Ananias speaking to God. He says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And yet knowing this, Ananias also obeys God and he lays his hands on Saul and calls him a brother. As I read this, I was challenged this week by Ananias' behaviour towards Saul or Paul. Here's a challenge that I was feeling. Can I forgive as Ananias forgives? Can I forgive like God forgives? How do I respond when someone comes to me asking for forgiveness? How do I respond 
to a repentant sinner. Here we see Ananias welcoming a man who just days before would likely have run a sword through him. Welcomes him as a brother. I think it's so tempting often when a repentant person comes to you to want to just make them feel just a little bit more of the pain that you felt. To string on the kind of idea of, well, I'll forgive you, but just keep groveling for a little bit longer, right? And Ananias doesn't do that. Although God has said that Paul will suffer for God's name, God is a God of justice. And Ananias is able to welcome Saul as a brother. I think it's a challenge for us in this passage. Do we forgive like Ananias forgives? Well, the last thing I want you to notice in this passage is that Paul is given instructions by Ananias about what the remainder of his life will involve. Let me read to you. We're back in chapter 22 now. Let me read to you from verse 14 of chapter 22. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Here are the instructions for Paul. You will be God's witness to all people. of Witnesses of what? Of what he's seen and heard. He'll be the one who has seen God and heard words from his mouth. That's what Paul's to do, to witness to that. I just want to pause here now and remind you that this is, this is Paul's story. This is what we call a testimony today. Here is a man who persecuted Christians, visited by Jesus, has a life-changing experience and now gives his life to be a witness of Jesus, especially to the Gentiles. We've said today that stories are powerful, that they are useful for communicating truths, particularly truths about our worldview that they're helpful in presenting ideas that might otherwise be, be difficult to speak of. And now look what happens in verse 22 as we see the crowd listening. As captivating as they are, as captivating as his story is, and as truthful as it is, Paul's story is still not received very well by the crowd. They cry out, rid the earth of him. And although they seem to hate Paul all the more for his story, the story does hold their attention. It is doing the work of communicating. The story was still powerful. It was powerful for the Jews listening 2,000 years ago. It's powerful for us today as we read it. So here's where I want us to finish today then. What does your story involve? And, and how would you tell your story? If you, if you know the God of the Bible, how has he changed your life? Remember Claire Patey's words, stories have a transformative power to enable us to see the world in a different way than if we just encounter it on your own. And so here's my encouragement for you as you go out, hopefully making connections with your neighbours and your friends and your workmates, as you make connections with your family uh, as part of our Spring Connections project. You might get to a point where you wonder, how can I... Now, introduce Jesus to this person that I'm getting to know. I encourage you to, to get a hold of a copy of the Sam Chan book that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. It's got some wonderful tips about how to do that. One of Sam's, one of Sam's tips is this. Tell them your story. 
Tell them your story, your testimony. It's likely to be a wonderful way for you to engage your worldview with theirs. For you to share about the way in which Jesus has changed you. It's your story that you're telling. But it's a great way to participate in God's story as you play your part in making the mission of Jesus known to the ends of the earth. And I pray that we'd have opportunity to do that in the coming months and years. Father God, we thank you for what we've seen about Paul and how much you changed him in this passage from Acts. And we thank you for the power of storytelling and how it gives us opportunity to present different worldviews to those around us. Thank you for Paul's testimony of his life, that he was the least deserving, someone who persecuted Christians and yet became a great ambassador for Jesus. Father, we pray that as you give us opportunity to share what we know about Jesus with our friends and neighbours and family, we pray that you'd help us to do that through storytelling at times. And that would be a good means for us to engage with others about what it is we know about you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.